listen to me! Bartertown will live! Find the little man! Bring him back to me! Alive! We will rebuild! For those who took him, no mercy. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Ask not what Bada Town can do for you. Ask what you can do for Bada Town. In Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 83, which begins with Auntie calling out for people to listen to her. And it ends with Barter Town's vehicle fleet driving into the wasteland. Swooping down in an egg-shaped airship named Archimedes to join us once again are Travis Bow and Eric Nash from the Watchmen Minute. Hey guys, how are you? Hey there. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you for having back. Absolutely. We ended on Monday's Minute with Barter Town's guards struggling to contain all of these crowds that were just in a panic fleeing the city. And I understand that the wastelanders in the city, they want to get away from explosions. I understand that. I can sympathize. I don't want to be standing close to an explosion when it happens, but I'm just not sure why the guards are trying to hold everybody in one place. Is it just so that Auntie has a crowd? Mm. I think that Auntie, and by extension, the guards are afraid that if people leave Barter Town especially in a panic or some other negative emotion, they won't return. That they will either go find another town and barter there, or kind of form their own new barter town some ways off. This barter town is terrible. Everything's exploding. I'm going to go make my own barter town with blackjack and hookers. Barter town too. <laughs> barter town burg. Barter town too with electric boogaloo. <laughs> They need master for that. Well, I mean, everybody's just there for the electricity anyway. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> so Auntie, in true politician style, she steps out onto this high platform and she shouts to the panicked crowd. She yells, Barter Town, listen to me. And down in the crowd, we see Blackfinger, who's still in his Blackfinger garb, because when does he have time to change? But he turns around to face the crowd and he shouts for everyone to listen. You know, quiet down. He's trying to be helpful. I'm not sure what to make of Blackfinger. At the end of Monday's Minute, in one of the crowd rushing out of the city scenes, we could see Blackfinger standing up on top of something out of the crowd. Like he was above them. Mm -hmm. I think he was standing on top of a vehicle, actually. Yes. So we knew that he was there and alive. I'm just... He has shown loyalty to Master Blaster in the past. So it's a little bit strange to see him showing loyalty of a sort to Auntie. I forgot about that. Are you trying to decide whose side he's really on? Yes. He's just a really good follower. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think he sees a person of authority. Yeah, he's like, hey, let's do what this person of authority wants us to do. And in the past, that's Master Blaster. Wanted him to deactivate a bomb on the car. In this case, it's Auntie. She wants people to listen. So he's just going to do whatever. 
He's a follower. I think he's an example of someone who is loyal to the institution, not so much the person running it. Mm. That's a good point. Because another thought that I had was that we as viewers choose between auntie and master blaster because we get to see a lot more of how they behave than the everyday citizen of bartertown hmm. to the everyday citizen of bartertown they don't have to choose between the two the government is the government and they're either loyal to it or not mm -hmm. yeah as long as there's power it, it probably doesn't matter too much to them which one of them is controlling the power exactly auntie continues shouting once again bartertown in the second shot that we get she's got her arms wide and the very beginning of the shot, right around you know, second 12, there's a massive explosion that happens right behind Auntie, which I feel sort of undermines her efforts to get everyone to calm down. <laughs> but at least if everyone looks at every new explosion, they are now looking at Auntie. So there's that. She is so great in this movie. I'm sure you've talked a lot about Tina Turner, but it's so insane to me that they got her for this movie. Um, and it's it's a crazy character that she gets to play. And it seems like she embraced it and just fully committed to the role. I love her look that she has going on here. The like silver chainmail kind of outfit. And then obviously we, we talked about the hair on Monday and it, it's awesome. I love the... Kind of the shaved sides of her head with the with the big hair. So. This role plays to so many of Tina Turner's strengths that it's really just perfect for her. Yeah, that's what I picked out of this minute as a whole, is that the speech that Auntie gives is perfect for Tina Turner. They needed a vocally strong performer to do this little speech. She's not standing in front of a microphone. Yeah. She's not standing in front of a rapt audience who is willing and waiting to listen to her. She is up in front of a panicked audience who wants nothing but to flee, competing with these explosions. And she still captures their attention and gets them, sort of, to listen to her. And they can hear her. Yeah. They needed a stage performer to do this. That's a good point. And of course, the fact that everything is exploding, it kind of reminds me of that <laughs> meme with the cartoon dog sitting in the burning room saying, oh, this is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yes. Auntie is sitting at a table saying, this is fine. Everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about. Yes, everything is on fire, but look on the bright side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least you have your health. Exactly. We get another shot of the Wastelanders crowded around in the street and Blackfinger shouts, listen once again. But then Auntie leaps into the meat <laughs> of what she's trying to tell people. She shouts out, where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? And the way she starts that out, it made me think, there's got to be something. That whole, where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Where, like, where have, I've heard that before in a million different places. I swear it's a song. I can't quite figure out what song, though. <laughs> I had the same thing happen, and it turns out, as I was digging around, it was reminding me of Martha Reeves and the Vandellas with their song, Nowhere to Run, yeah. from 1965. Oh, yep, I got it. It's in my head. Yep. Because that song very specifically starts out with Nowhere to Run to, baby, Nowhere to Hide. Yeah. She must have known she was doing that. She had to have. Oh, you can't be a female vocalist <laughs> and not at least realize that you're at least a little bit paying tribute to the singers that have come before. Because you've got 
that group, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas that I mentioned before. But through my digging, I was also reminded that in 1965, Nina Simone did a cover of Sinner Man, which also has a very similar chunk of lyrics saying nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. It's in a very different context. That's a great song. But, you know, it's still in there. Fun thing about Sinnerman is that it was originally recorded in the 1950s by Les Baxter, the Swan Silvertones, and the Weavers. And so Nina Simone was doing a cover of it. Not exactly 15 years later, but you know, about that span of time. And it's interesting that Nina Simone pops up because in the 2009 soundtrack for Watchmen, the movie, mm-hmm. Nina Simone pops up singing Pirate Jenny that she recorded back in 1964. Oh, nice connection there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, that's the song that very specifically mentions the Black Freighter. That's a crazy song, too. It, it's got some uh, real powerful like moments. It really is. It's a good one. I was just going to say, I was trying to look up and see if Tina Turner ever covered that Nowhere to Run song. Because, you know, would not be surprised if, if at some point she performed that song. You know, may not have been recorded, but couldn't find anything, though. I have a question about Auntie's questions. She says, where are you going to hide? Why do these people need to hide? Who do they need to hide from? It feels like an odd question. Of course, they're running away from the explosions, but they're not hiding from anything. Maybe she means like if you leave Bartertown and you're just out in the open, you'll need somewhere to go so that you're not set upon by marauders or whoever. So maybe these types of towns are just essential for survival unless you have a place to hide like like Jedediah and his son yeah yeah like a literal place to hide so it may just be literally that I'm glad you brought that up because as we've probably mentioned in the past it's we've been over 80 episodes of this so far so it's hard to remember exactly what we mention every time but Barter Town offers a fair amount of security against maybe marauding hordes of raiders that are hunting after you because you managed to kill one of their members or maybe you stole something from a vengeful individual and that vengeful individual can't get into Bartertown. And so Auntie is very much aware that there are people in Bartertown that are there solely because it offers a bit of sanctuary. Yeah. Okay. So what she means is who is going to protect you. Yeah. So since who is going to protect you is such an easy question to ask, it makes me think that her wording, her specific wording of where are you going to run, where are you going to hide, is on purpose as an homage to songs of the past. Oh, absolutely. Because the underlying meaning is, you know, where are you going to run? What other settlements are there around here that can give you what Barter Town can? And of course, the answer is none. And where are you going to hide? Where can you find refuge from the dangers of the wasteland around here? The answer to that is nowhere. And they are good rhetorical questions to shake people out of their panic. Maybe force them to consider their options for a moment. Right. This place may be exploding, but think of the options of being a wasteland wanderer again. So I'm sure the inhabitants of Barter Town were once like Max wandering from place to place. And yes, Max has been successful at it, but he has a certain set of skills that allow him to thrive in that kind of environment. Most people don't. 
So the idea of losing Barter Town and having to return to that lifestyle is no good. Yeah. And so what they should do instead of panicking is listen to Auntie. Yeah. And she reassures them, Barter Town will live. This is just a minor setback. Don't worry about the explosions. Explosions can be taken care of. It's fine. Exactly. What they need to focus on is they need to find the little man and bring him back to Barter Town. And she puts extra emphasis on this next part, alive. Because if they have Master alive, they can, and she mentions, will rebuild. I guess mentioning Max wouldn't really serve any purpose. It doesn't seem like she cares about Max. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I like that she makes it clear that Master is her, her goal, her target. Ever since we got first introduced to Auntie, her goals have more or less revolved around holding on to Master and exploiting his knowledge for her game. He was arrogant when he had Blaster around, and so her plan was always to get rid of Blaster and humble Master so that she could use him. The knowledge that Master has never got passed on to anybody else. So his set of skills are contained to this one guy. No one ever wrote anything down. No one ever thought to try and apprentice his skills or anything like that. So he is integral. He is a key part of rebuilding. Plus, if they can find Master, chances are they'll also find the generator. Considering that when Auntie last saw them mucking around in Underworld, they were messing with the generator. Yeah. So if they can get Master back, if they can get the generator back, they can put everything back the way it was before, and everything will be fine. I wondered if Auntie really needs Master and his technology to rebuild Barter Town. There seem to be two separate ideas or concepts going on in this community. The idea of a protected place where the expectations are very much laid out for you. This is a place to trade. If you don't have anything to trade, you're not welcome. If you are here to trade, you trade fairly or there are consequences. None of those ideas require electricity. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other half where if you do all these things and you behave well, here's this electricity that you now get to enjoy. There are lights at night. There is a cafe where you could have actually cooked food or actually cold drinks. That just seems like a bonus to the safe place to trade idea. Mm -hmm. And you can still have Barter Town just on that principle of a safe place to trade. So perhaps there is more to Master's participation in Barter Town than we have seen. Maybe he does more for Barter Town than has been obvious. Hmm. And he also threatens or represents a threat if he gets away. He's got the generator and he's obviously got the know-how. They don't want him to set this kind of thing up in another barter town, in another place. Mm, Okay. So there's competition, you know, wanting to avoid that as well. And I think she is savvy enough to be genuinely worried about that. Sure. She doesn't want competition. She wants to be the only gig in town. Yeah. And you can argue that you don't necessarily need electricity for Barter Town to be Barter Town, but electricity is a feature that you don't find in other trading outposts. It's something that sets Barter Town apart, makes it special, makes it more desirable, because there are definitive advantages to being able to have electric lights. Think about when we go camping for the weekend and we get home and you just are so glad to turn on an electric light. (laughs) Very true. And I've used that comparison in the past where 
when we're camping, I just hit a point where I'm like, I just want to not have to stop functioning because it's dark out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of flashlights. I'm tired of firelight. I just want to be able to function no matter the time of day. Okay. I will definitely give you that, especially that of the activities of trading don't have to stop at sundown because you can no longer properly see the goods that you're trading. Mm -hmm. They can keep going into the night. Plus there's the idea of fans cooling down. Hmm. There doesn't seem to be a lot of fans around. It's not like everybody is cool and comfortable all the time, but we know that auntie had a fan and I believe the collector had a fan. Mm -hmm. So those two places were cool and comfortable. Perhaps there were other places as well that we just didn't see. Yeah. Plus you mentioned the possibility of the Atomic Cafe having maybe a refrigerator. Mm -hmm. The ability to keep things cold. Mm -hmm. Yes. A lot of advantages that come from electricity. And you don't necessarily have to get your electricity from methane. I mean, you could get it from wind and solar and things like that. But those require a level of manufacturing that Bartertown has not achieved at this current time. So they're nice ideas, but they just don't have the capability to do it. Which is a shame because there are quote-unquote primitive ways to use solar and wind energy. You can get hot water with solar ovens. You can cook food and you can get hot water with solar. And you can use wind power just with a simple turbine and some gears and stuff that I don't know how to do, but Master certainly would know how to do. So there are other ways, but you would still need Master to do those because yeah. apparently he's the only one with any engineering smarts, <laughs> which is so foolish. I just don't understand why he didn't take on an apprentice. Yeah. Or the auntie wouldn't insist that someone else learn what he knows, but... Then there's the whole power struggle. So maybe he would refuse to show anyone else how to do things to give himself some job security and some safety. Job security is the biggest thing. Yeah. If you are the only person at your place of employment that knows how to do a specific thing, they can never fire you. Right. The moment you teach someone else how to do the specific thing that you do, you are now expendable. Yes, and I agree 100%. But I have had an experience of a coworker who so refused to tell anybody how she did her job that she was no longer employable. She was so stubborn that they were like, fine, if you're going to be so stubborn, then you can't work here and we'll figure it out ourselves. Hmm. And she got fired for keeping her knowledge to herself. Oh, I have feelings about this. Like... They are so afraid of losing any modicum of power that they have not set up any legacy. Once Auntie and Master die, this place cannot continue on. And isn't that part of human nature to want to continue? Isn't that part of our drive to have children and to be remembered? Those are basic human needs. For people that have a sense of humanity. Yeah. So maybe they don't. <laughs> yeah. Maybe oh, that's I, the answer, yeah. that they have lost their humanity. It could just be Auntie wants everything, wants the power, she wants the adoration, she wants everything for herself while she's alive. She's not, once she's gone, she doesn't care what happens to Bartertown. Mm -hmm. I don't think she cares that Bartertown survives once she's gone. Yeah, that baffles me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, Eric, Eric's right. It, it's the lack of humanity. <laughs> Very much so. I think the important thing here is that Auntie is convinced that they'll be able to get Master back 
reclaim the generator and that they will rebuild. And everybody in that crowd, they cheer. They're excited at the prospect of getting everything back the way it was the day before and returning everything to normal. Everybody except for the Blackfinger. Oh, good. I'm glad you've... (laughs) I've had that in my notes and I'm wanting to bring that up too. I was so tickled when I saw this and I noticed Blackfinger. I laughed out loud. (laughs) Yeah. This was fantastic. I'm curious though, why specifically why Blackfinger's not on board? Yeah, I don't get it either. I'm not it's it's odd because it is noticeable and it it is a moment where everyone mostly everyone is cheering and then he very obviously says what you know it's strange i don't know there's no indication of why he wouldn't want to rebuild i went through in my head a couple of different reasons why he might not be on board why he might not want to or think it's possible or think it's the smart thing to do and i wonder He has more experience than anybody in this particular area with Max and his ingenuity. Specifically, he saw how Max rigged up his vehicle to explode if anybody tried to work it in a way that Max set up would cause it to explode. So Blackfinger knows that this is all Max is doing, that he's behind all of this. So maybe he's just seeing Max is not worth fighting against. We're not going to win. Max is smarter than the rest of us. And so the smart thing to do would be to run, hightail it and run. You think so? No, (laughs) I don't think so. I'm spitballing. Yeah. My other idea, my other spitball, was that in this particular group, he has more understanding and more experience of what Underworld is like and what it takes to run Underworld, and perhaps knows better than the rest what these explosions mean. Mm. He knows how damaged Underworld is and knows that it's not worth rebuilding. My angle on it is that Blackfinger was down in Underworld. He saw what kind of state it was in, where all of the pipes were torn from the ceiling, all of the cables were pulled from the generators, and there were sparks and probably little fires everywhere. These explosions are probably just methane deposits or containers exploding because of fires that are raging through Underworld. All of the pigs are escaping. To hear Auntie describe it, all they need to do is recover Master and everything will be fine. Where Blackfinger knows that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't considered the fact that he knows the amount of damage is probably too severe to come back from easily. Yeah, they've got a limited amount of resources. They've got a limited amount of effective tools on hand. It's going to be a huge job that's going to take them a long time to bounce back from. Yeah. Auntie makes it sound like... Bartertown could be repaired, which Blackfinger, of course, knows that it can't. It needs to be done from scratch. We don't know how they got to Bartertown in the first place. Was a lot of this infrastructure already there and Auntie moved in and took it over? Or did her and Master genuinely build it from scratch? If they did build it from scratch, perhaps Blackfinger has been here all along and knows how hard it was and know that they are in a very poor place to do that again. And if it was already there and Auntie came in and took it over, 
who knows how much time and effort and materials it took to get it to that point. Auntie doesn't have that experience. Either way, starting from scratch is just a very tall order. So after we're done looking at the crowd and Blackfinger and all that, we get a nice dramatic zoom on Auntie as she finishes her address and she says, and for those that took him, no mercy. And of course the crowd, they love this idea. They all shout back, no mercy. They're 100% on board with the whole no mercy rule. However, I do feel like there's going to be at least a little bit of mercy shown at the end of this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, surprising. <laughs> Auntie, she is ruthless when she needs to be, is merciful when she needs to be, but then takes many opportunities to hide her own wishes behind the so-called law. Are these good attributes for a leader or bad attributes for a leader, I'm really not sure. See, Auntie talks a good game, but then when the chips are down, she'll often change the rules. It makes her a good politician, doesn't necessarily make her a good leader. That's true. Those are two different things. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like here she is saying what will rile up the crowd. Uh-huh. She's saying what they need to hear to be excited enough to go along with her plan, to either go out and search or to stay behind and help clean up and rebuild. And I feel like a lot of people that have vehicles go with the option of helping her search because as we wipe transition to a different shot, we see that Auntie is sitting in her chase vehicle and she does this little signal and all of the vehicles, they transform and roll out. <laughs> they go down over the edge of a hill and they drive out onto the wasteland. And it's a really cool shot that begins, by God, a chase scene in a Mad Max movie. Yay! Can you imagine? What's even cooler is that it follows them all down the hill and it's one continuous shot. Like, mm -hmm. it seems like it'd be, you know, broken up by several cuts, but once the vehicles start to drive down this hillside, you kind of watch a bunch of them and then it pans down and over the hill a little bit and you can see them all coming up from the bottom of the hill and driving out into the desert. It's a really cool shot. Mm -hmm. It is a great shot. You know what shot it reminds me of? The waiting ones running down the sand dune. Oh, yeah. It's a good point. Which is also a great shot. Yeah. I was thinking why well, I went back to Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> In uh, Phantom Menace, there's a shot of uh, Darth Maul on his like hover bike. And he goes over a hill and then it kind of creeps out over to the edge of the hill. And you see him like way down below zooming out into the desert as well. I think the hill that he goes over the edge of is a bit more steep though. Yeah. His little yeah. speeder bike, it goes out over the edge and then it drops really yeah. suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> These cars going over the edge of this hill, I don't know much about how cars run when they're on methane, but did they need to do this to help them gain acceleration? Oh. Maybe cars don't accelerate that great on methane. It's possible. So the cars are placed at the top of the hill so that they can get up to speed quickly without using too much fuel. Hmm. I wonder if it was a practical thing. I like that idea though. Yeah. So I've heard conflicting stories about Auntie's vehicle that she drives in these final segments. Some sources say that Tina Turner drove the car the entire time and that they actually had to modify it from a manual transmission over to automatic transmission because Tina Turner doesn't drive stick. Yeah. She drives automatic, so they had to switch that around for her. However, there are other sources 
that say that while she was out front with this steering wheel, that the person who was actually driving the car mm-hmm. was a stuntman actor named Ollie Hall, who was dressed up as one of Auntie's guards. And he was actually the one in control of the vehicle. And that comes from interviews that he's done saying that the car was really hard to drive because it had such a large back end and such a very light front end. And when your steering comes from the front end and you've got a really light load there at the front, it can make turning a little tricky because you lose traction. Huh. Huh. But either way, when it was originally designed, the idea was to have two large engines and two large turbines. But in the final fabrication, they just reduced it down to the one large turbine that gives it that rocket look. Right. Maybe they had two vehicles, one that she drove and then one for stunts that that he drove for more of the dangerous. I don't know. Perhaps. It could also be that Ollie Hall was driving in those sequences that we're going to see coming on down the way where Auntie leaps onto the train oh yeah and is not actively driving oh yeah that would make sense yeah that would make sense i try and pull information from these disparate sources the wikis and the fan pages and whatnot sometimes i see things that contradict each other and oftentimes i feel like there's a easier explanation as to why that is yeah the truth is somewhere in between exactly i'd be curious if there's ever been a land vehicle besides well i mean not even a tandem bicycle can be you know switched off between one person to the other as to who's (laughs) controlling it but you know who's who's steering and who's applying acceleration and braking. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of those cars that driver's ed teachers yeah, use. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's the closest maybe. They've got an extra steering wheel, they've got an extra set of pedals. <laughs> well, I've, all, all, all I've seen is a brake. I didn't know they had ones yeah with that even. Yeah, I've seen some pretty complex driver's ed cars before. Oh, there you go. I didn't take driver's ed, so I I really have no idea. I learned to drive all by myself. <laughs> so the last oh, more than 15 seconds is this long shot of Auntie's vehicles rolling out, like you said, getting that acceleration out across the wasteland. But we're going to put a pin in this. We're going to let those cars drive. We're going to come back on Friday and wrap up the week because the first five seconds of that minute is just a continuation of this shot here. So we'll talk more about that when we come back on Friday. Also coming up on Friday, aside from Auntie's vehicles in active pursuit. We get Max, who's beginning to wonder if there is a plan going forward from this point. Unfortunately for him, he's going to discover that no, there isn't a plan. Pig Killer is just flying by the seat of his pants. He's got no more idea of what to do than Max does. And then we get to cut inside the caboose where the kids are just getting into all sort of knickknacks because children, they get into things. You can't hide stuff from them. <laughs> so come back for that. It's going to be a good time. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Mad Max Franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 83 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time oh!